church. All right, you're awake. Sometimes you don't get a very good response to that. Before we begin anything, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are here today to lift you up, to worship you, and to glorify your name. May the words that I speak glorify you, Father. And may we just know that you are present with us because your word says that you left to give us the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit is present because where two or three are gathered, it is. So we thank you for that. And we just ask your blessing on each one represented here and out there. In Jesus' name, amen. I've chosen a really familiar scripture. And it's a lot, so hang in there with me. But it's the story of the woman at the well. So I'm going to start. I am in John chapter 4, for those of you that want to turn there in your Bibles. And I'm starting at the beginning. I promise not to read the whole thing. I could, and I would love doing that, but I won't. In fact, Gilbert told me I should break it up. <laughs> so I'm going to break it up. <laughs> chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making, oh, I'm in the New Living Translation, just so you know, and making um, more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. And so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. There are so many details in here that we just read anymore. I want to point out to you that he's going through Samaria. Now, it says here he had to. He could have gone around, but he had a mission and a purpose. And so he purposefully stopped in Samaria, where Jacob's well is. Now, I did a little research on Jacob's well, because I find it fascinating that this thing is in the middle of not much, and yet there's water. Almost every commentary that I read said they don't believe that this is fed by a spring, which would make it a real miracle because there's water in the well. And then I found other commentaries that said they do believe it's fed by a spring. Either way, this well is a miracle. Either way, this well has been placed there by the Lord. But let's look at what if it is a spring? I assume most people know what a spring is, water-wise, have seen a spring? No, I don't know if everyone has. I was blessed to grow up on a farm in South Central Pennsylvania, and we had a spring house. And what that was was a house built over top of the spring that provided water to our house. Um, we sort of had indoor plumbing. <laughs> we didn't have an indoor bathroom, so that's a whole other story. But in the wintertime, our pipes would freeze, and we would go to the spring house. And sure enough, the water hadn't changed. It's bubbling. It's almost alive. It's not like the little stream that's there that leaves the spring, but it's 
bubbling. It, it looks like it's alive. And it's like that even in the wintertime. And so we would get our little buckets and we would carry water to the house when the pipes would freeze. I will tell you, as a child, that was not exciting. <laughs> I felt sometimes like child labor laws were being broken, but <laughs> we were all in it together. The fact that that spring was there, the water was always cold, and you could drink it right out of the bubbles. You didn't have to worry about whether or not the cows upstream were peeing in it. It's a spring, you know? So we moved off the farm when I was about 11, and we moved into boiling springs. That's like 20 miles south if you've never been there. It's got a beautiful lake, and it has springs, and they bubble. They look alive, and you can drink out of them, and the ducks can be all around, and there's no duck poop in them because it filters it out. The spring was drinkable. There used to be a flat rock there. They took that out because they were afraid kids were very protective of our children. They were afraid kids would fall in. Nobody in my generation cared if you fell in the spring. <laughs> it was deep enough that, I mean, you could stand up and get out. Unless you were maybe two and you shouldn't be there by yourself when you're two anyway. So it was just a lovely thing. And on up and around the race um, toward the town, there's second spring. So I love springs. The water's always fresh. It's, it bubbles. It moves. It's alive. It's, it's not dull. <laughs> so I like to think that this thing is fed by a spring. I've not been to Jacob's Well. I've been to Israel. But I can't tell you for a fact if it is or isn't a spring. All I know is that later on here in Scripture, Christ talks about a spring of living water. And I can imagine that this may have been a spring. So we go on. Oh, the other thing I like, should I say I like it? Jesus is tired from a long walk. He's tired. See, he is fully human and fully God. So he's tired. We don't like to think of our God as getting tired. But while he was here on earth, he was fully human and fully divine, one of the great mysteries. But he was tired, and so he sat down by this well. Soon a Samaritan woman came, I'm seven now. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she says to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? If you look at culture in those days, being a Samaritan was not a great thing to be. Jews really had nothing to do with them. They believed, now the Samaritans had Jewish backgrounds. Some of them were Jews, but they married outside the faith, and that mattered in those days, really mattered. The Word of God tells us today to not be unequally yoked. There's a reason for that. These folks really paid a price because the Jews 
wouldn't even allow them to go to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. They considered them unholy. They considered them disobedient to God. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been occasions where I have been disobedient to God, but I have not been ostracized by the Christian community. In fact, I've been surrounded, lifted up, prayed for, and forgiven. This didn't happen with the Samaritans. The second thing here is she's a woman. And ladies, as much as I hate to say this, <laughs> we weren't really of very much value back then. We sort of had two purposes, keep house and have kids. And occasionally, you could be in business. In fact, we have record in the scripture of women who were businesswomen. So, but this Samaritan woman is at the well at noon by herself. The other thing they didn't do was travel, in pa or travel alone. Women very seldom traveled alone. It wasn't safe. It was a male-dominated society then. So here's this woman going to this well alone. Now, because I believe that Jesus knows everything, <laughs> I believe he knew she would be there. I believe that's part of the reason he stopped. She's there by herself. And so he asks her for a drink. She's surprised because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And Jewish men especially don't talk to Samaritan women. Especially one like her, which she assumes Jesus doesn't know. But unless he's really stupid, he has to understand that she's there by herself, so something isn't what it ought to be. But they, she doesn't go there with him. She just says, why would you ask me for a drink? That surprised her too. So she's surprised that he's there. She's surprised that he talks to her. And she's really surprised that he asks for something. I'm always surprised when Jesus asks me for something. You know, when the Holy Spirit gives you that nudge and says, go do this, and you're kind of going, I don't think so. And the Holy Spirit doesn't let it go. And so you do what he asks. See, Jesus hasn't changed. He still asks us to do things today. And sometimes it's as simple as giving water to someone. So there's a lot going on here that's very simple and can be applied to modern society. I was not raised in a family that had prejudices. Um, I, <laughs> my father came out of the plain culture, you know, the black hats and the bonnets, not Amish, but plain. And he raised us very much that way, but he allowed us to, to be dressed normally, <laughs> is what I always called it. We got dressed normally, unless we were going to a family reunion and then the girls had to put on a dress, which, gee, I hated. Bad enough, you had to wear them to school, and then you had to wear them to church, and now you got to wear them to the family gathering because you didn't wear them at home. You wore your hand-me-down brother's blue jeans. But anyway, <laughs> you guys think I'm kidding. This is true. My family, my father's family, from the time that my grandparents were alive, there were over 600 of us because my grandparents had a lot of children, and their children had a lot of children. These people believe that children are valuable, and so they have them. My father had four, and we were one of the smallest families. 
So I grew up, when my grandmother died, she had 56 grandchildren, which means I had 52 cousins, most of whom I couldn't have told you their names if I had to. You know, at family reunion, just stood around and said, who's that? But we did not ever say, what is that person doing here? Because our family is very eclectic. My uncles were missionaries. Their kids brought home spouses from whatever nationality they were ministering to at the time. So as my one uncle said, we looked like a meeting of the UN when we gathered. So we weren't raised to say, oh, because this person is this, because this woman is a Samaritan and I'm a Jew, I can't speak to her. Now think about that. Does it remind us of any prejudices we have yet today? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a historical thing that people have. But Jesus changes that. Jesus changes that. Now, this woman doesn't know that's what's going to happen, but it is what's going to happen. And so he replies to her when she says, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Hmm. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back here to get water. She's a very practical woman, in a sense. Here's what she says. You, you don't have a rope. You don't have a container. How are you getting water out of this well? Now, obviously, she had that because she had come there to draw water. That's why I asked her for a drink. She's looking at him and says, you can't do it. And he says, but I have. Actually, what he says is, if you knew who I am, we know who he is. I know who he is. I didn't always. As a kid, I went to church and I knew about him. And there is a difference. Knowing who he is and knowing about him are two different things. Jesus offers that same living water to me. How about that? I'm not a Samaritan. I'm not going to say I'm not sinful because that'd be a lie. But he offers that to me, this living water that I'll never thirst again. And I said yes to it. So here's the deal. What do I do now? 
This woman wanted this, but she wanted it from a practical standpoint. She wanted it because she'd never have to come back to this well. An awful lot of people say yes to Jesus for practical reasons. Well, nothing else has worked, right? That's as good a reason any, I guess, to say yes to the Lord when there's no real understanding of forgiveness of sins, of, of eternal life, of living water. But if they start looking, if we look into the word of God, what will we find? We will find living water. I will give water that will, you will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I can have days in this world that just stink to high heaven. There can be circumstances in my life and have been that just are not any way, shape, or form glorifying God. So then I have a choice. Am I going to let this living water bubble up within me? Am I going to be happy with Jesus? And I don't mean like giddy, because let's face it, they, there are days when you're not giddy. But do we have that deep abiding joy? Do I make the choice to let that water bubble up? I often get people saying to me, how do you stay so excited about Jesus? And I always want to say it. I don't. <laughs> but I always want to say, how are you not? This is the king of Israel that died for me. This king of Israel forgave my sins. And I wasn't even all that bad of a person by society standards. And yet I've realized I'm a sinful person. And I need this living water. And he wants to give it to me for free. And he did. I walked an aisle on Pentecost Sunday in 1976. People say, that's why you're so excited. It was Pentecost. Well, okay. Whatever excuse you need, it's Pentecost every day for me. Amen? Or at least it ought to be. Anyway, give me the water. I want it. I don't want to come back here. And then he does it. This is great, right? He says, Go and get your husband. Go and get your husband. Jesus told, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Five husbands. I often wondered if she was like a black widow. What happened to these men? doesn't tell us, right? It doesn't tell us. But five husbands, even today, that's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we laugh about celebrities like, I, I, the only two that came to my mind young people probably don't know, and that was Zaza Gabor and, and Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, they just had husbands, more husbands, you know, they changed husbands more often than most people change underwear. It was just one of those things. And here's this Samaritan woman five husbands. And the one she's with now isn't her husband, which tells me she must have been good looking or 
she had some serious emotional problems that she couldn't keep attachments. And he goes on, sir, <laughs> sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship and that we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Some people don't like that. But here, newsflash, Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> but the time is coming indeed. Here it is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman says to him, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain that to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, I think that should have surprised her. What's he doing talking to her if he's really the Messiah? I am the Messiah. I know when he comes, everything will get straightened out. So she's assuming now he's a prophet because he knows more than he oughta, right? I can't even imagine. I can't imagine going through your daily routine and just a simple thing like going for water and all of a sudden you are in the physical, living presence of the Messiah because they knew prophecy. They knew he would change the world. And there she is. And I love what they did in this scripture. They capitalized, I am. So you have to be reading it to see that. It's on the screen back there anyway. I am. How often is that used in scripture? And it's always in reference to God. I am. And so he tells her that. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, and when he gets here, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I am. When that really hit home with me, <laughs> that Jesus was the Son of God. I, like I said, I went to Sunday school, heard all the stories. But it wasn't until I got it that I got it. It wasn't until I understood that I'll never really understand. It wasn't until I knew, and I knew, that he had 
forgiven my sins, that he's prepared a place for me, that he walks beside me through tragedy and through joy, that he's real. And like the Samaritan woman, I believe the world is looking for him still today. And we, I, am his representative here on earth. When the disciples came back, they weren't surprised. They were shocked. <laughs> they were shocked. That's a long way past surprised. You realize that, right? Lots of things surprise you. I, I did 30 years of youth ministry. I always said lots of things surprised me, but nothing ever shocked me since I've done that. <laughs> There's very little that shocks me anymore. Some of it did. But here it is. They were shocked. And they weren't shocked that Jesus was ministering, they were shocked at who he was ministering to. Remember, they also are Jews. I got yelled at when I was a teenager by my mom, and I'll never forget it, because her words basically were, you'll just talk to anybody, won't you? Is there a list somewhere of people I'm not supposed to talk to? Yeah. Pretty much. I didn't quite get what that meant. Messiah showed me you pretty much talk to anybody <laughs> because they need Jesus just like I need Jesus. And so she goes on. <laughs> They're shocked. I love that. They come back and they are shocked. And I lost my place here. Oh, there it is. They came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but <laughs> none of them had the nerve to ask him why. I guess if you're traveling with the Son of God, you're pretty careful about what you ask. I don't know. I ask Jesus dumb things all the time. Fortunately, we don't really have a conversation because he's never once said, well, that was a dumb question. You know. But I love that they didn't have the nerve to ask him. They didn't have the nerve to ask him. What do you want with her? And why are you talking to her? I thought you were supposed to be the son of God. I thought you were supposed to be our example. Why are you talking to her? You got to love that. The woman left her water jars beside the well, and ran back to the village telling everyone. I will admit it, when I accepted Christ, because I am a talker, I told anybody that would even remotely say, how are you today? <laughs> I always gave them an out. Do you really want to know? And if they said yes, I would tell them, oh, Man, I have been forgiven, and I've found a life that I never believed I could have, and I found a Savior that loves me, me, with all that I've done in my life and all that I've experienced in my life, and he loves me, and I would just not shut up. And I'm still sort of that way if the door opens. I actually got in trouble for that once at work. My boss pulled me into the office and said, you can't talk about those things here unless they bring it up. So I learned how to talk to them in such a way that they would bring it up. <laughs> it's just 
It's what you do when you love the Lord. You just, you can't help yourself. And she ran back to her village, telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Everything I ever did. She ran back. And I don't believe she walked up to the first person she saw and said, well, you should come and see the guy at the well. (laughs) I don't think that was it at all. I think she bubbled it. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. He must be the Messiah. Now remember, she's not accepted in her society. That's why she's at the well alone. She's not the kind of person that people would listen to. That's why she's at the well alone. Even in her own village of Samaritans, because of her lifestyle, she wasn't accepted. Could this possibly be the Messiah? And what I love most is where I'm ending. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. It makes me ask the question, what is it that I'm not doing that people aren't coming streaming to see him? I know they're hurting. I know they're lost. I know a lot of them are not satisfied with their lives. Go out and look at the statistics on suicide. And I know Jesus. But if I'm an Eeyore Christian, you know Eeyore, right? Everybody knows Eeyore? Oh, me, oh, my. If we're that kind of a Christian, that's not really attractive. I'm just saying, it's really not. I have friends who are chronically depressed. Not all my friends know the Lord. And I have friends that will call me just to vent. And I tell them, if you just say yes to Jesus. If you just let him heal your heart and your mind and your soul, because that's what I did. I left him heal my heart and my mind and my soul. And I have faced some real, I can't even think of a nice stuff (laughs) in my life that I know it was only Jesus that got me through. Because see, He knows. (laughs) This is a part a lot of us don't like. He knows everything about me. Everything. The things you'll never see because I won't show you. A lot of it the family never sees because I don't show them. But he knows it. And he went to that cross for me anyway. And sometimes I struggle. I struggle with the fact that he knows it and loves me anyway because we're taught we're not worthy of that. When we do something wrong, we're not worthy to be loved. That's what we're taught. That's what I was taught growing up. I wish I could tell you how often I got spanked. (laughs) My mom used the coal shovel to spank us. It was my brother's fault. He laughed at her. It was the nearest thing, and that was what we got after that. Believe me, my behavior changed a lot um, (laughs) because I didn't want that. But if we did something wrong, we knew it. 
And sometimes, because parents aren't perfect, they just didn't let it go. And me talking to everybody was one of those things. It really bothered my mom. Because children should be seen and not heard. And I guess she felt teenagers should be seen and not heard. Basically, she felt that if we were out in public, she should be seen and I should not be heard. <laughs> it was just one of those things. And I've forgiven her for that. That's how she was raised. I can't say it's her fault that I'm like I am. It's my fault that I'm like I am because the Holy Spirit is still growing me. But he bubbles inside of me. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't imagine not being excited about who Jesus is. So the question to go away with today is, am I bubbling about Jesus? Is it, I, people find stuff that they love. I mean, I can remember being in a Sunday school class where everybody was talking about this new detergent that everybody loved. Okay, I'm mildly domestic. I did laundry and cooked and did those things. I just was like, so you have an hour in Sunday school to worship and talk about the Lord, and we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about laundry detergent. And everybody's excited about it. I'm not even going to one, I'm not even going to, yeah, I am. Football games. And believe me, I love going to a football game. I don't like it on TV because I don't know them. But I like being there. I like the excitement. I like how that builds it up. <laughs> so the problem is I have that same excitement when I start talking about Jesus. He's so wonderful. He's so God. He excites me. He excites me because of what he's done for me and what I know he can do for others. Like this crazy Samaritan woman. I think she was so bubbly, they had to listen to her. They could see something was different, and they wanted to go see this man. And so they came streaming from the village. My question today is, am I bubbling about Jesus? Is the water in me living water? And I'm the only one that can answer that for me. That's how this works. <laughs> so... Does he bubble? Am I bubbling about him? Am I so excited for what he's done for me? Or have I lost that because I've been a Christian for so long? And my life hasn't been perfect. So what right do I have to bubble about Jesus? I've been a Christian since 1976. My life has not been perfect. But I'm still going to get excited when I talk about him because he is perfect. See, I don't have to be. Because he is. He is. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thankful. We are thankful for who you are. We are thankful for the way that you are transforming our lives. I am so grateful, Father, for the way that you have transformed and continue to transform my life because I'm not dead yet. And so I still have that ability to change and to grow be through the power of your Holy Spirit because I'm not dead yet. And you want to make me a new creation. And that happens every day. And I am grateful for that. I am grateful for the living water 
that bubbles within me, for that living water that I can offer to others because they are thirsty too. And I thank you, Father. And we just praise your name because of who you are, and you are worthy of our praise. Amen.